Have you ever wondered why the rule of law and the freedom of speech in many democratic nations, including the United States, is now under attack like never before? We'll explore that question and more today in episode 25 of Adventology entitled The Dragon, the Beast, and the False Prophet. Welcome to Adventology, the podcast dedicated to helping you find answers to the big questions of life so that you can live a life of influence that ultimately impacts the world for eternity. Each week, we will explore a different chapter in the story of humanity that centers around Jesus Christ and culminates at His second coming. Whether you know Jesus already or are simply curious about what the Bible has to say about the end of the world, this podcast has something for you. Here now is the host of Adventology, Travis Walker. I don't know about you, but I hate to be forced to do something I don't want to do. Even if deep down I know what I'm being forced to do is what is good for me. This type of obedience, if you want to call it that, is contaminated with contempt. Yes, I am obeying, but I'm only doing so to avoid a worse consequence. And while we all may have to endure a certain amount of control by the laws governing our country and the policies governing our workplaces, it becomes spiritually devastating when that same control is applied to individual rights. When someone is told what they can and cannot say and believe, and those restrictions are enforced by the state, it is evidence that we are no longer living in a free society. The freedom of speech and the freedom of religion are hallmarks of a free society. And 25 years ago, at the end of the Cold War, many believed that these freedoms would one day be adopted by all the countries on the earth. But astonishingly, according to Freedom House, in a little more than a decade, a disturbing trend has seen these freedoms reversing in 113 countries in which they were once celebrated. In fact, in the last year alone, 25 governments imposed internet blackouts. So why is this happening? Well, according to The Economist, there are two main reasons for this. First, ruling parties in many countries have found new tools for suppressing awkward facts and ideas. Second, they feel emboldened to use such tools partly because global support for free speech has faltered. This is true even in the United States, who has always been a champion of free expression, but now is led by a man who routinely calls his own country's press corps the enemy of the people. In fact, in a recent tweet on September 2nd, the president said, Our real opponent is not the Democrats or the dwindling number of Republicans that lost their way and got left behind. Our primary opponent is the fake news media. This is an astounding statement. In one sentence, he not only attacks the freedom of speech, but essentially politicizes it by calling the press, not his Democratic rival, his primary opponent in the next election cycle. But as we all know, or should know based on our past history, is that the press's freedom to criticize what elected leaders say or do 
is one of democracy's most essential safeguards. What would happen if this freedom to hold government accountable was taken away, or worse, given away? Who would then be the arbitrator of truth? And what would happen to those trying to hold those in power accountable for what they are doing? These are serious questions we must all wrestle with, especially those of us who are Christians. For if God never forces the will, but rather reasons with it through truth and compels it through love, then how could we align ourselves in any way with a person or a system that respects neither? The end justifies the means is not a principle advocated by God, but it is the primary principle advocated by the devil and those who are influenced by him. In fact, it was the primary argument used to justify putting Jesus to death by those who opposed the truth that he spoke. You remember in John chapter 11, starting in verse 47, which says, Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them, Caiaphas, being the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole nation should perish. You see, free speech and those who advocate it are always the victim of those in power who are threatened by it. However, we should never be afraid of the truth. The truth is not our enemy. In fact, quite the opposite. Jesus said, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. According to Jesus, truth is our Savior. Its acceptance into the heart and mind sets us free from the lie that we have believed about God, ourselves, and the world around us. Truth, then, is the anti-venom of control and deception. So what do we do when truth once again becomes openly attacked and politicized by the nations of our world? What happens when we as a people no longer want to hear the truth and instead elect leaders who tell us only what we want to hear and believe about God, ourselves, and the world? The Bible actually tells us in 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. This is happening now, and it has happened before. But to really understand it, we must go back to Bible prophecy in the book of Revelation. For it is here in chapter 13 we are introduced to the most infamous character in the Bible, the beast otherwise known as the Antichrist. Now, we already introduced you to the Antichrist concept in episode 17, so be sure to check that episode out if you haven't done so already. But now we're getting into his cosmic incarnation. And so Revelation 13, starting in verse 1, says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. 
And the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for forty-two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Quite the description, I must say. Now, why is it important we understand who this beast is? Because later on in the chapter, we are told that all who dwell on the earth will one day be forced by threat of economic sanction and death to take the beast's mark. And then on the flip side, we are told in chapter 14 of Revelation that God will destroy everyone who does take the mark of the beast at Jesus' second coming. So we're definitely dealing with both temporal and eternal death consequences here. So would God be a God of love? Would God be just if he gave us a warning about receiving the mark of the beast without allowing us to even identify who the beast was? How can we know what the mark of the beast is if we first don't know who the beast is? Remember, the Antichrist is not against Christ as much as he's put himself in the place of Christ. Paul makes this clear in his second letter to the Thessalonians when he wrote, Let no one deceive you by any means, for the day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So according to Paul, the second coming of Jesus will not come until the Antichrist is revealed. And when he is revealed, it will be seen that he has set himself up inside the church as a counterfeit Christ, who receives worship in the same way Jesus does. So in other words, the Antichrist will set himself up in the church pretending to be Christ while actually undermining God's authority. This is an important truth to grasp as we tackle this sensitive topic. So with that background in mind, we can go back to the description of the Antichrist in Revelation 13. Notice, if he is counterfeiting Christ, we should expect to see some similarities to the ministry of Jesus. The first is the most obvious. Both the beast and Jesus begin their ministry by rising up out of the water. Jesus, of course, was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, but he did not receive his authority from him. In fact, we are told after Jesus came up out of the water and began to pray, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Luke chapter 3, verse 22. 
Thus Jesus received authority from the Father in heaven before beginning his ministry. In like manner, the beast receives its authority from the dragon. So now we can begin to see the beast is not the only counterfeiter here being exposed in the chapter. The dragon, or Satan himself, is exposed as the wannabe father god of this world. In fact, Paul said it this way, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4. We will have more to say about this in a future episode. But interestingly, Christ's baptism in 27 AD marked the beginning of his ministry here on earth which was the very same year that had been prophesied would mark the beginning of the Messiah's ministry in chapter 9 of the book of Daniel. We will also spend some time with that particular prophecy in a future episode. But from here, Jesus' ministry lasted about three and a half years, and the beast's ministry, according to verse 5, lasted 42 months, which of course is another way of saying, you guessed it, three and a half years. And at the end of that time, both Christ and the Antichrist received a deadly wound, and both are subsequently resurrected. And this is the amazing part. Both have a gospel that results in the worldwide worship of the inhabitants of the earth. Thus, we can see the fundamental issue at the heart of the controversy that will engulf the world in the last days is worship. However, when Jesus died, he was taken back to heaven, and in his place he sent the Holy Spirit to convict the world of truth and the love of God and to point people to Jesus as the only way of salvation. In fact, notice what Jesus had to say about the Holy Spirit. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. John 16, verse 13 and 14. So the power of the Holy Spirit is used to convict the hearts of man and to glorify Christ, not the Holy Spirit himself. In a similar manner, we are introduced to the sea beast, or otherwise known as the false prophet, in Revelation 13, verses 11 through 17. Here we find the false prophet using his power to compel the world to worship the Antichrist beast by deception and force. And while it is the job of the Holy Spirit to place the seal of God on the true followers of Christ in the last days, it is the job of the false prophet to place the mark of the beast on all the true followers of the Antichrist. I hope you're starting to see the big picture now. In the last days, there will be a worldwide true church, otherwise known as the remnant church, that worship God through the sacrifice of Christ and live as a reflection of his character through the power of the Holy Spirit. And there will also be a worldwide counterfeit church, otherwise known as Babylon, that worship the dragon through the intercession of the Antichrist and who reflect his character of force and deception through the power of the false prophet. The counterfeit trinity is real. This is not a conspiracy theory. This, my friend, 
is the great controversy. There's no escaping it. We are all a part of it, whether we like it or not. In fact, this counterfeit trinity is referred to or alluded to several more times as we dive further into the book of Revelation. The good news is that the counterfeit trinity ultimately failed to deceive the whole world. The bad news is that most of the world is deceived by them. In fact, Revelation 16, starting in verse 13, reveals how they do it. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming up out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and to the whole world to gather them to battle of the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gathered them together in the place that is called in Hebrew, Armageddon. As you can see, the counterfeit church is going to have supernatural power beyond what this world has ever seen to deceive, if possible, the very elect of God. And in the midst of this warning, Jesus is crying to us all, Behold, I'm coming. As a thief, are you ready? Are you? Are you ready for Jesus to come? Well, to be ready for Jesus to come means that you are ready to withstand the counterfeit Jesus, as well as all the power of darkness that will be used to betray him as the true light of the world instead of Jesus. Thus, to be ready means we entertain no ambiguity between light and darkness, truth and lies, and facts and opinions. The prophet Isaiah said it this way, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Isaiah 5 verse 20. The only way we can be deceived is if we ignore this warning, if we ignore the battle that is waging for the souls of all those living on the earth. The great controversy is real. Eternity is real. God's love for you is real. But so is Armageddon. That will come as well. There will be a day where all of it comes to an end in a battle. and We will have a choice to make. The Bible makes exceedingly plain what is going to happen to those who are ultimately deceived by the power and reasoning of the counterfeit trinity. We can read about it in Revelation 19. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. This is the ultimate outcome for all those who side with the counterfeit trinity in the battle of Armageddon. Doesn't it behoove us to do everything to know the truth now while we can? Does it make any sense that God wouldn't want us to know what is about to happen that literally involves every human being on the world? Obviously not. 
then shouldn't we expect God to allow us to identify who the beast and the false prophet actually are? Yes, of course. God wants us to know the truth, but not simply because we are curious. Curiosity is not enough. We have to want to know the truth because not knowing the truth means potentially missing out on eternity. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. This is the true motivation and this is why Adventology exists, to share truth that will set you free to know Jesus in a way you never thought possible. Don't worry, we will begin putting the clues together to help us identify these end-time players in the episodes to come. But for now, all I'm asking is for you to commit yourself to the truth, no matter the cost. Truth in the world is a precious commodity, and one day the freedom to share it will be taken away from us. So won't you commit to applying it in your home life, in your work life, in your religious life, and yes, even your political life? Truth must run in and through us in all aspects of our lives and the institutions and people we support. God never forces truth on anyone, but he does give it to whoever is seeking it. Remember what Jesus said, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks... It will be opened. Thanks for listening to this episode of Adventology. Our goal on this podcast is for you to be ready for Jesus. And the best way to be ready for Jesus is to spend time getting to know him. Knowing Jesus is everything. And that is why we spent the time today studying the counterfeit trinity. But don't just take my word for it. Study it out for yourself. And for a hands-on experience, I encourage you to check out our website, adventology.com, where you can get a transcript of today's episode, along with any of the previous episodes we've already published. Also, if you've been blessed by this podcast, then I want to encourage you to remember us in your giving this holiday season, and be sure to share the episodes you've most enjoyed with the people that mean the most to you. All right, well, I enjoyed our time together today. I look forward to seeing you back here on our next episode when we will go back to the book of Daniel to study the historical rise of the Antichrist. Maranatha.